This morning we do continue our sermon series called Daring Greatly, where we are exploring the book of Acts and we're learning how the early disciples were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be bold and courageous in their faith. Over these next six weeks, we're wondering how might we be bold and courageous in our faith. Last week, we began by looking at the ascension of Jesus. 40 days after his death, after appearing to his disciples and giving them convincing proofs of his resurrection, Jesus ascended to God in heaven. He promised the disciples that the Holy Spirit was coming to give them power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to all the ends of the earth. So they watched him be enveloped in a cloud and taken up into the sky. And as they were fixing their gaze above, two men stood beside them and said, why are you looking at heaven? As if to say, now it's your turn. So they went and they huddled together as Jesus told them to do, and they prayed and they waited for the Spirit's coming. And so today we pick up exactly where we left off when our text begins. The day of Pentecost had come and they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them and all of them all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other languages as the spirit gave them the ability and power to do so now pentecost was a festival that occurred 50 days after passover and it often celebrated the wheat harvest it was one of three pilgrimage feasts that the entire household of Israel gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate. See, our text also says, there were already devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And so here at this moment, the streets would have been bustling with people. When they heard this booming sound, like many of us, they looked for what it was. They looked for this rush of violent wind. Think about it as hearing a tornado or a hurricane. And they went to find out what was going on. And they heard these men who they thought all shared one dialect speaking in their own languages. One commentary explained that it wasn't as if these Jews from different nations wouldn't have been able to speak to one another. Some of their second languages would have been uh, Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. The miracle was that each Jew from all over was able to hear in their native tongue, in their first language. Some of them were amazed and perplexed trying to figure out what does all of this mean? Others made fun of them, calling them drunk. So Peter stands up and he says, look, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. They aren't drunk. But he kind of insinuates if it was later in the day, that could have been a possibility. That was supposed to be funny. Pastors have like one chance to make that kind of joke. Okay. And then Peter brings to present this old prophecy from Joel. He says, look, God says in the last day, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and even your old men will keep dreaming dreams and even your slaves, both men and women, will prophesy in this day. Joel says, I will show you this evidence from heaven. There will be blood and fire and smoky mist and then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, for the writer of the Gospel of Luke, this allusion to the Old Testament was important. For him, it was this partial fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. It was a connection to what they had been promised long ago. He interpreted the Pentecost experience as the moment when the Spirit would really get to work in a new way. In my reading this week, I was also intrigued by this connection of Pentecost to the experience of Moses on Mount Sinai. You'll remember in Exodus 19, Moses is given the Torah, the law, the commandments, 50 days after Passover. And then here in Luke, he's, Luke is suggesting that this is a new dispensation of God, that 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit has now come through the Messiah who mediates a new covenant. We also see this connection because Luke uses familiar Old Testament symbols about Moses' experience on Mount Sinai. See, Exodus 19 says this, that there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud and a blast of a trumpet. And at one point, God came in the smoke. He descended upon the mountain in fire and the whole mountain shook violently. And as the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would respond to him in thunder. And so this connection between the two teaches us several things. The first is that we do not negate what the Old Testament is saying to us, but we pay attention to it for the intentional and beautiful ways it's used to enrich our understanding of the New Testament. Second, one experience of covenant renewal does not have to negate or supersede the other. It was as important to the Israelites in the wilderness to experience God at Mount Sinai as it was for the disciples in Acts to experience God. And so each was needed in its own time for the people to relate to and understand who God was. Third, we see that then and now there are times when God does not come in private, quiet, mind your manners kind of ways, but God comes publicly and loudly and boldly. And sometimes in life, we need the inbreaking of heaven to interrupt our safe and southern and sophisticated and proper ways of being. We need to be rocked to our core. Sometimes we need our whole house to shake. Sometimes we need to hear God like a voice of thunder. And so if a still small voice is not working out for you in this season of your life, maybe it's time to start praying for a loud one to ask God to speak to you and lead you in ways that are robust and cause a holy ruckus. I believe the more that we pray and ask for boldness, the more we receive it. And sometimes God calls us to bring heaven into the world in the same way that God does. See, when the tongues of fire rested on these disciples, they became the center of attention. 
Their witnessing in Jerusalem, as Jesus had promised, began. Peter stood up and he spoke this bold uh, message and this public, unafraid witness made a difference. After listening to Peter, the, when the people heard what he said, the text says they were cut to the heart and they asked, Peter, what do we do now? Peter said, repent and be baptized. And 3,000 people were brought to Christ that day. I think that many of us can recall experiences when the public witness of someone else inspired us and challenged us in our faith. Personally, I am remembering the baptism of a young adult woman in our church named Alexa Conley. Two years ago, three years ago, she was baptized the same day we baptized her infant daughter. You know, sometimes as adults, I think we're afraid to stand up and make these public declarations. And so I asked her, I said, tell me why this is important to you. And this is what Alexa said to the church in the chapel. My faith has always been a very personal and private relationship with the Lord. It's a connection that has guided me through decisions with undeniable signs and given me the strength to live with courage and intent. But it became the most evident to me one year ago with the arrival of our most precious gift. I realized then that I wanted to show my gratitude by officially devoting my life to God. She said, being baptized today means I am finally ready to publicly confess my faith and commitment to God. And so today I am wondering, are you ready? Some of you, are you finally ready to publicly confess your faith and commitment to God in a bold way? Will you break the kingdom of heaven into this world in a loud, unafraid, unashamed way? Another important insight about our text today is how one moment informs a movement. Just as Alexa being baptized was the beginning of a new piece of her journey, the inbreaking of the Spirit was a quick event with long-term effects, effects that would carry out through the book of Acts, effects that we are experiencing today as the church. In other words, this moment was the catalyst for a movement. It was a launching pad. It was the birth of the church, but not as a building, as a people on a mission empowered by the Spirit of God. I think if we have learned anything over this last year, it's that the church is not a building. It is a movement of people empowered by the Spirit of God. And so now it must be our church goal to not allow this movement back inside to quench our outward flame. We cannot afford to huddle behind closed doors. We must stay focused on our outward, public, on the move witness, one that is communal, as the Spirit of God fell on everyone, one that allows us to adapt to our ever-changing environment, one that calls us to see obstacles as opportunities for experiments in ministry. There are so many examples of this in our church over the last year. One Sunday school class thought that a food pantry project with the local police precinct would make a difference in our community. And now there are four different pantries with other precincts that are serving the whole Nashville area. One person in our church 
sent me a link to a partnership between the United Methodist Church in Memphis and Costco. They started to receive Costco's food that was gonna expire and they started distributing that to their community. That idea was sent to our missions chair, Melissa, who contacted Maggie at HG Hill and suddenly this new movement, this new experiment of feeding our friends was birthed and it includes our entire community. The work of the Holy Spirit is to break in and light a fire under us and create change through new and innovative ways of being. The question is, will we receive its prompting? Will we join in its wild, fiery, untamed plans? Will we hold on to our birthright of being a people on a mission empowered by the Spirit of God? Finally, I love this line that says, they were filled with new wine. Peter quickly rebukes the crowd to make sure they know the disciples were not full of alcohol, but in many ways, they were full with new wine. These old wineskins were experiencing something new and different. They were filled with new fire. See, Jesus said, after this baptism of water, you're going to receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And even that baptism was not a one-time event. The Spirit came upon them over and over again as they moved through the entire book of Acts. And so we too must always be seeking refinement and rebirth by the Holy Spirit. It is so easy to become stagnant in our spiritual lives routinely reading the Bible, routinely showing up for worship, routinely sharing sweet inspirational quotes on social media. But every private moment, every prayer, every reading of scripture, every Sunday morning worship is meant to offer you new fire and new wine and propel you into action. And so this season is not about continuing to conform or to play it safe or to play it small. This season is about sticky, not sticking to our old habits or falling into our old ways of being. This particular season, this moment in our history, individually and as a church, it is a season to pray for a fresh outpouring of flames that cannot be doused by anyone's fire hose. This season is a season to recover your tongue of fire, the spirit that lives in your flesh the divine partner that has called you to prophesy and see visions and dream dreams, whether you are male or female or neither of those, young or old, powerful or powerless. This season is a season to be filled with the new wine of the spirit, not drunk on the allure of this world, but intoxicated by the kingdom of heaven, turned over to be a vessel by which God moves and acts boldly and courageously in this world. This is a season to dare greatly. So let's go church. Let's be a movement. Let's break into our ends of the earth with new fire, loudly and publicly and boldly by the work of the same Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Thanks be to God for the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. Amen.